some point in each one of our services, we're just going to stop and do that. Um, and uh, I love that we just sang that song because uh, the reason that Jesus has no equal, the reason he has no rival is because only he has an answer for a situation like this. Um, it's why what the church is supposed to do matters. It's why the gospel matters more than anything because only Jesus has an answer for something uh, that horrible. And so um, we're going we're gonna to take some time now as the church uh, united uh, just to pray for this family. And I'm just going to ask you to join me in that. So let's pray. Father, in the midst of what has to be unspeakable horror and grief, I'm thankful that this family turned to a place where they thought they might find you. Um, and so I just pray that that's what they find today. Lord, that they uh, would feel your peace that passes understanding. They would feel the comfort of your presence. They would feel, um, hear about, uh, believe if they don't already, the hope of Jesus Christ. Um, God, you are the only one who stands any chance of bringing good out of the situation. Uh, and not only do you not stand a chance to do so, you promise you will. Um, and so we uh, pray for that to be realized. But, but, but on this day, God, this, this horrendous day for them, uh, we ask that, that, um, uh, that you would just shower them with your presence and your comfort. That they would, they would sense this church um, just up the road from them that doesn't even know them is praying for them right now. Uh, that they would sense that, Lord. That they would feel uh, the strength that only you can provide. And that through this, God, that... Through this uh, horrible tragedy, they would come out of it with a, a deeper faith, a deeper reliance, a deeper trust in you because um, only you can accomplish that. And only you have answers uh, for life's most difficult questions. And so we just pray that Jesus would take over that situation, that his um, power, his presence, his gospel would reign supreme. Um, and we commit uh, that if you want to use us as a part of their healing, that we are here for them. And we pray this united as the entire church of FBN, and we all say... Amen. Well, thank you for joining me in that. If you have your Bibles, turn them those now to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible with you, there's a black one in the seat back near you. It'll be on page 1045 of that. And as you're turning, just a couple of things I want to remind you of. Um, please uh, set aside time uh, next Sunday night. Not tonight, but a week from today. Uh, Sunday night, September 27th at 6 p.m. We're going to have a special members meeting. All members of FBM, we want uh, you to be here. Um, Myler, um, the group from Crawfordsville that's been doing our design and architecture for us will be here to present uh, kind of their findings, their drawings, their uh, solution for our building space needs. Um, and so there'll be a lot of information for you on that night, a lot for you to digest. Uh, there'll be a Q&A, and then we're going to give you know, the entire church a season of prayer and fasting to see uh, if we want the Lord, uh, if the Lord is having us to, to proceed with what their suggestion. So um, it'd be, it'd be, you'll, you'll be well more ahead of the game if you're here in person um, or watching live online at that time. If you try to catch up later, you're going to miss out on a lot. And so please guard that time, September 27th at 6 p.m. We'd love to have you there for that. If you're not a member uh, and you'd love to become a member or at least interested in finding out, uh, then come tonight at 6 p.m. Um, we have a new members class tonight, and if you're planning on attending that and haven't let us know, please let us know that today. Um, at this point, I'm going to invite Chris Mathis up to read today's passage to you. He's going to continue right where we left off in Colossians chapter 3 last week. Uh, he's going to start in verse 16, and if you're physically capable, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning. Good morning, Chris. Hello. You can come up here, you know. Uh, okay. I want to knock you off. <laughs> Um, we're going to go ahead and read Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Um, 
Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and console each other with all the wisdoms he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thank you, Chris. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Uh, these are your people. This is your hour and this is your day. And uh, as we've already heard this morning, so much, uh, so much of life can, uh, can rattle us and throw us and distract us from, from what you want to do. And yet we pray that in this moment, in this hour, as we, as we open your words, we continue on our worship of you this morning by, by seeking you diligently through your word, that you would reign supreme in this hour. God, that you would teach, that you would convict, you would encourage, you would move, and you get the glory from all of it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So I want to start with a, a bit of encouragement for you today. Um, some good news, and, and it's this. That every single one of you, whether you realize it or not, every single one of you have made at least one terrific decision already this morning. So you should be proud of yourselves, right? And we're going to tell you what that is here in a bit. But in, uh, when I was in high school, uh, we Parks boys, there were three of us, we liked going in the summers to... FCA camps. Uh, FCA is the, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and, and um, they used to have these summer camps that were sport-specific, right? You choose uh, which sport you wanted to improve at most over the summer, and you'd go to that uh, sports camp. And so my brother Danny liked going to the FCA football camp. Uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes actually hosted some property near uh, Turkey Run uh, State Park, and there's some cabins there. And so during football camp, you would practice all day in the heat, uh, you'd sleep in cabins uh, without air conditioning, they have bonfires and stuff like that. I chose to go to golf camp. Uh, at golf camp, we stayed in a climate-controlled hotel in Indianapolis with a pool and a jacuzzi. Uh, we played at Eagle Creek Golf Course in Indianapolis and had catered lunches. And so you can tell who's the manliest parks child, right? But one of the things the FCA liked to do was they liked to arrange uh, speakers to come to these camps. They had a lot of relationships with professional athletes, and so uh, at least uh, one PGA Tour professional would be, uh, uh, would make an appearance at every FCA camp I was at, and he'd kind of give a speech, uh, give a, give, share his testimony with the campers, give us some drills to work on, some tips, and then move on. But I remember that there was one impromptu speaker one year. Um, we were out at Eagle Creek Golf Course in Indy, we were having our lunch, and we all spotted somebody at the range, uh, and it was a Colts player. And it wasn't just any Colts player, um, it was easily, by far, uh, the most famous Colts player of, of that time. Now, this was pre-Peyton Manning, so nobody guessed that, all right? Um, but before they drafted Peyton Manning, this is by far their most famous player. And we were like, man, it'd be cool to meet him. And so our camp director was kind of a shameless guy, and he just went up and he introduced himself to him and said, I've got, you know, 150 uh, athletes over here. They'd love to meet you. And if you've got a few minutes to share, we'd love to hear from you. And he was very gracious, and he agreed. He left his clubs right there on the range. He came in to where we were having lunch, and he spoke to us for about five minutes, and then he took questions for about five or ten minutes. Uh, and he knew what FCA was, and so he mentioned in his talk, right, somewhere in the middle of his talk, he mentioned uh, that he was a Christian, which was surprising to me. Um, I didn't know this about him before, and the reason it was surprising to me is because if you, go, if you went to FCA camp back then, you were automatically subscribed to a, a magazine that F, FCA produced uh, every other week. And in this magazine, they would detail the testimonies of 
any, literally any professional athlete they could get their hands on who was claiming to be a Christian, right? Um, and so you read their, their testimony, you read their story and different tidbits about who they played for and stuff. And so uh, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on which professional athletes in the 90s were claiming to be followers of Jesus. Not to mention that I followed the Colts um, in, quite, in great detail. And so I knew, I thought I knew pretty much a lot about this guy, but I'd never ever heard that until it came out of his mouth that day. Um, and one of, uh, being a group of teen boys with no shame, someone just asked him about it. Um, said, by the way, we, we've never heard this from you. Why is that? Um, which is kind of a bold question for a 16-year-old. Uh, but this Colts player, here's, this was his response. Well, I've always seen my faith as a really private deal. And so I can have a really strong faith and not have to put it out in the locker room and not have to put it out in front of others. That was his answer. Now, he had a room full of 15 to 18-year-old boys who were all struck at this famous athlete. And so none of us had the audacity to question that answer. But I was incredibly thankful for uh, a young college guy who was my small group leader that week. Uh, because the way the camp worked is you, you'd play all day and then uh, you'd go to dinner and you'd have chapel and worship that night and then you'd go to your small group and you were supposed to have this Bible study. And my small group leader went off script that night and he said he wanted to lead a discussion with us on the idea of is, is the Christian faith a faith that can ever be a private one? And I still remember that discussion. I still remember that lesson. I'm still thankful that he chose to speak into that night. But in reality... What that Colts player was saying, that Colts player was just on the ground floor of an idea that has taken on more and more steam ever since. It's, it's, like a, it's like an avalanche rolling downhill. Because American society as a whole is becoming increasingly individualized. Right? Things are becoming more and more on demand, more and more instant, more and more tailored to us. And it's all so convenient and it all feels so good that we never stop to ask if this is good for us. Instead, what's happening is the gospel itself is being proclaimed louder and louder and louder. Timothy Keller is uh, the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And he, he said this at a conference just a couple weeks ago. He said, roughly speaking, every other culture has always taught the truth is something outside of me. It could be family. It could be God. It could be dying for my country. Right? But to be a person of honor and worth and authenticity, you had to find that truth outside of yourself and align your feelings with the truth. Now, he says, now the understanding is the truth is inside you. You now go inside to find the great depths, and then you come out and tell everyone else that they now have to accommodate you. Man, I've never heard a more accurate description of our society than that one, and this sadly has moved its way into faith in the church as well. We are having increasingly isolated faith journeys where we value our individual pursuits of Jesus as greater than our communal pursuit of him. The internet and social media have, have formed these echo chambers of, of like-minded people so I never have to deal face-to-face uh, -face with others who think differently about me. And it's easier to label them and dismiss them and get really dogmatic about preferences that I have no right to get dogmatic about. And again, we're not asking ever if this is good for us. Well, I can confidently tell you today, you don't need to ask. It is assuredly not good for us. If you bring an isolated, individualized focus to your walk with Jesus Christ, it will actually destroy your walk with him. If you bring an isolated, individualized focus to your walk with him, it will cause untold, untold damage to your soul, most of which will not even be noticed by you, but it will be noticed by those around you. And it will be felt and it will be dealt with, and God will notice most of all. 
We're in a series that we call Reboot because we, we lined it up with the reopening of our church. And, and, and in it, we're taking a, a long, hard look at our vision that we exist to glorify God by developing disciples who live for his purposes. Right? And in that, we, we, we believe that you exist to be developed as a disciple who lives for God's purposes. And in that, we have five different uh, areas that we're going to build this church on, five different pillars that, that we're going to always be pushing you to. And the one that we're looking at now is that we're going to live in community. If you belong to Effie, we're going to push you to live in community. And the argument that we're making is this, that community matters because the Christian faith is a faith that must be shared. There's a reason that the vast majority of the New Testament are, are letters written to churches, not individuals. And so when we read these books and we study them and we apply them and we think only about ourselves, only about our individual life and faith journey, we're missing out on a major, major aspect of their meaning. And so I actually want to pick right up where we left off last week in Colossians 2. So look again where Chris read for us. I'm going to read the first half of verse 16. And it simply says this, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. The first argument that Paul is making in this entire section in Colossians 3 we've spent a couple weeks looking at is this, that the Christian faith is a communal faith. Right, that's, that's the main argument he's making, right? That Paul is describing here in this section of Colossians 3 how the church should interact, uh, what the church should do. He's really descri- describing uh, the, the, the culture that a church should, uh, should strive for. And what he's saying is there's, there are no isolated heroes of the faith, right? But the church must exist all in one accord. And, and the first thing we're being told in these verses is that our engagement with the scriptures, our engagement with God's word must be communal as well. Now, for context, right? The book of Colossians is a letter written to the church at Colossus, and Paul wrote it in response to a false teaching that was taking root in the church. In all of Colossians chapter 2, Paul deals directly with this false teaching, and, and he corrects it. And now here in chapter 3, what he's doing is he's given a preventative fix, right? He's, I've already fixed the one. Here's how to make sure false teachers never take root in your church again. And here's how he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. I even love how he worded that, okay? He's speaking about the word of God there. But this false teaching uh, that, had, that had taken root in this church, uh, w- one of its aspects was it was trying to de-emphasize Jesus Christ, make him uh, less of a deal than he really is. And Paul is re-emphasizing him, so he even refers to as the word of God as the word of Christ. And he prescribes here a culture and community among which the word of God is immersed, that it dwells richly among the members of the church. That wherever the church is, whenever the church gathers, the word of God needs to be a part This is why we're very intentional about this here. Have you noticed that whenever we get together, somebody is opening this Bible? Now, one of the things that I'm uh, currently praying through is is trying to come up with a a wider variety of learning techniques so that you all can engage in the Bible more than just in a lecture-style format. But I promise you this, that we will always, always, always have the Bible at the center of everything that we do. We want to ingrain it in the culture of everything around here. And there's been a really uh, clarifying development in recent weeks. Like part of having a word-based culture is we've always pushed you to have a relationship with the Word of God on your own. And we'll always do that. Right? We don't want your time at church to be the only time you open this book. Right? It's why we have a church reading plan that we share with you. It's why uh, we form D-groups. Our goal of our D-groups, one of the main overarching goal of D-groups is to get its members to have a consistent, ongoing engagement with the Word of God. We will always encourage it. But I want you to look again. If you take note of the language here in Colossians 3, nothing's personal here. Everything is communal. 
He's prescribing that we let the word dwell among us together richly. This means that we, that, that we are opening it, that we are reading it, we are sitting under it, we are applying it together. And the reason I mention this is because back in March, we made the decision to halt uh, in-person services in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And a couple of weeks into it, uh, Adam and I were sitting in my office or his office, and we were talking about some of the really scary spiritual ramifications that we feared for you all in, in because of this. Um, and I shared with him my theory at the time, and this was this. And my theory is we were basically going to have a couple groups of people, right? And the first group uh, are, would be those who already had a, a, an ongoing daily relationship with the Word of God. And they, my theory was that they were going to thrive during, the, during the, their quarantine. They're going to have less things to do. Their relationship with the word would, would thrive and, and deepen, and, and they would come out of it closer to the Lord than they've ever been before. And then we had a whole other group that was reliant on others for their faith. That they didn't have the accountability of the church, that they weren't in this building, they weren't open the word, and that they would, they would the, my fear for them is that they would fade away and just maybe not come back. And I was wrong, by the way. My theory was totally wrong. But not about the second group. I was wrong about the first group because as it turned out, the lack of gathering hurt pretty much everybody. For the last uh, decade, Barna Research Group has done a study called State of the Bible. And every year since 2011, like clockwork, the percent of U.S. adults who are engaged in the Bible every day has unchanged, has been unchanged. Right? It's, it's, this, the, it's held steady in an average of 13.7% of U.S. adults read the Bible every day. One year dropped down to 13.5, one year went up to 14, but it's been right there around 13.7 all the way through. Early in 2020, in February, they did this study, and they, the average came out right at 14%. But wanting to understand the results of the quarantine and pandemic, they just did it again. And now it's down to 9%. 5% drop is, as Barner described it, an unprecedented drop in the entire history of the survey. And in case you think 5% isn't much, that's 5% of adults in the United States. That means there are 13 million fewer adults engaged in the Bible than there were in February. Not surprisingly, the number of people that Barno described in the survey as Bible-centered, which means these people identify themselves as they make their choices and shape their relationships based off the Bible, has fallen from 27% to 22%, a drop of almost 10 million people. John Flake of the American Bible Society said this, this study supports the idea that the church plays a significant role in benefiting people's well-being and scripture engagement. To increase scripture engagement, we must increase relational connections with one another through the church. I don't know about you, that sounds a whole lot like let the word of Christ dwell richly among you to me. It turns out that God knew what he was doing when he designed his church. It turns out that he knew what he was saying when he said the gathering of the church was essential. It turns out that he knew what he was doing when he says we must live out this faith together because our engagement with him and our engagement with his word can't only be in isolation. We must sit under it. We must engage with it. We must respond to it and discuss it together. Let me stress again the high, high need for you to get into some form of group life around here. Secondly, we see here in uh, verse 16 that our worship needs to be communal. Look at the second half of verse 16. It says, In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Man, worship is another thing that you need to be doing all throughout your life. You, we will always encourage you to have a private worship of the Lord. But listen, the gathered 
communal praise and worship of our Lord is not only command the Bible, but is essential for our souls. There's a church in Berlin, Germany that we here at FBN have had a long relationship with. Uh, we have supported Crossway International Baptist Church for, for more than 15 years. And um, they, exist in, they, they serve in Berlin, Germany. And right now in Berlin, Germany, um, there is a ban against singing indoors. Um, not just for churches, it's for, for bars, karaoke, they were like, no, there is no singing indoors allowed in Berlin, Germany right now. And so for months, uh, when they start in-person services again, Crossway would gather, uh, they would do uh, their announcements, they would sit under the word and have a sermon, and then they would leave. And it just, they just couldn't shake that it's, this isn't the way church is meant to be. And so uh, last week, they actually emailed me a video of it. Last week, they gathered, had their announcements, did their sermon, and then they went out into the streets of Berlin. Uh, spaced out six feet apart, took multiple acoustic guitars, and they just started singing and worshiping together. Now, wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier just to dismiss everyone and send them home? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier just to tell everyone, make sure you listen to some good Christian music on your way home today? Well, sure. But there's great power when the church of Jesus worships together. And they knew that, and so they, that's their plan now until that ban is lifted. This is why, Right? Our worship needs to be as truthful as our preaching. It's why the lyrics that we sing must align with the word of God. And I, I, I need to tell you this morning how thankful I am uh, for Pastor Brandon. And I hope you all are too because he takes this incredibly seriously. Um, we will never, ever, ever find a perfect sinless songwriter. I hope you know that. Okay, we're never, ever going to find somebody who wrote a worship song that we agree with 100%. And so what he does, instead of focusing on the songwriter, he pours over the lyrics and message and focus of the song. And I've heard him express in staff meetings again and again that his goal is to sing the gospel in every single worship service we have. And whether you recognize that, whether you even knew it's happening or not, this has benefited more, you more than you know. Because when truth is set to rhythm and melody, it helps you remember it. There's this verse in 2 Timothy 1. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Now you think, man, that's impressive. Pastor memorized the verse, right? I didn't memorize the verse. I cannot read that verse in my head without breaking out into a hymn that my church uh, growing up in always played. I've even tried. I'm like, I'm going to read this without singing it. And then in my head, I'm always singing it, okay? Because you can't do it because truth is embedded in our hearts. It's embedded in our minds. It's embedded in our souls. Our view of God is increased. Our faith is encouraged. Negative influences are lessened. And all this and more happens when God's people worship together. This is why more than 50 times in God's word we are commanded to sing to him. More than 300 times we are commanded to worship him together. We must have a communal aspect of worshiping together as the church of Jesus. And look at what Paul says happens when these things are in place. We push each other to a deeper faith in Jesus. One of the great benefits of community is not just connection, right? We've talked a lot about that. It's not just belonging. It's that we actually need one another to grow in our faith. Did you know that? You need the rest of the church for you to grow in your faith. In a culture where the word and worship dwell dwell richly two things happen he mentions them both in verse 16 number one we teach each other now yes this includes a formal teaching like this lectures setups classes but when the word dwells richly in a church this we teach in conversations we teach by example we teach in groups anytime that we're helping people understand anytime we're helping people relate with engage with anytime we're helping people apply the word of god we're teaching them by the way we're also teaching while we worship and mom and dad, I, I hope you understand that. 
There's a reason that starting in fourth grade and on up in here that we want the kids in the service here with us. Right? We, we want your children to see you worshiping. One of the great uh, benefits to, to me personally from the pandemic is we had three months of services with no nursery, no child care. And if you're a parent, you're thinking, wait, how is that a benefit? Right? Because you were the one struggling through. You were the one trying to keep your kids under control. But I'm going to tell you, and this is going to sound creepy, and it's really not. Right? I have multiple pictures of my, on my phone of fathers in this room with their kids gathering around them all worshiping the Lord together. Because I wanted to always remember what biblical masculinity really looks like. Because when their dads had their kids right there and they were all worshiping the Lord together, I was like, that is incredibly valuable. And we may not get to experience this again once we start child care again. So I captured it, right? And if I took your picture and you creeped out, I'm sorry. But I did it, right? We teach one another. We also admonish one another. That word sounds scary. It just means to counsel, right? Don't be afraid of it. The function of the body of Christ is to help each other navigate this life. Life is hard. Following Jesus can make it harder. It takes wisdom. It takes a deafness. It takes graciousness. It takes patience and understanding. And it's so much better and it's so much more possible and so much more effective when we try to do this together. This begs the question, by the way, how is it that you see church? Do you see the role of church exclusively as something to serve you? Something to feed you. I'm, gonna, I'm not getting fed here, so I'm going to go somewhere else so they're going to feed me better. Or do you actually pray before you gather at the church, Lord, how might I encourage somebody today? How might I teach someone? How might I counsel someone? How can I point someone to a deeper faith in you? Hebrews 10 puts it this way. Let us watch out for one another. Listen, I love that term. We're watching out for each other to provoke love and good works. That is the mindset you bring into the gathering of church. Because thirdly, together, we are more effective at bringing him glory. This is the highest aim of mankind, to bring God glory. And when we develop this kind of culture, when we inject ourselves into Christian community, this is what's possible. Look at verse 17. He writes, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The more and more we're in this together, the more and more we form this community, engage in this together, the more and more we realize there is no separation of the sacred and the secular. Everything is sacred in God's eyes. That means in all things, in all ways, at all times, in whatever we do, we can live for the glory of Jesus Christ. And everything that we do, it's our privilege to do it in his name, for his sake, and as if we are doing it for him. Man, to bring God that type of glory will only serve to build his kingdom, which is what his church is to be about. All right, so here's where we try to apply all this, right? Sounds good till we try to apply it. Let's, let's lean into it. What do we do? Number one, I want you to hold the gathering of the church in highest honor. We read Hebrews 10, 24. We'll continue on in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24, again, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. And then verse 25, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. I mentioned earlier that decision we made in March that we'd never have to make, a decision to suspend in-person services, and that was not one that we took lightly, and the reasons were numerous, right? Um, as your shepherds, we felt it was part of our duty to protect the flock, to protect uh, your physical health. Uh, we also felt it was part of our duty to protect our witness to the community, 
right? That if everybody else was quarantined and shut down and we flew in the face of that and gathered here, we would really do harm to our ability to share the gospel with this neighborhood in, in the coming days. We also felt that we had to adhere to Romans 13 and the governing authorities in our place. And so in addition to that, uh, there's a lot of unknowns. So we made that decision. We dealt with it and now we've moved on. But listen, we always, always, always knew it was temporary. And we always knew that we'd come back before this was over. You do know it's not over, right? The pandemic's still going on. I don't care how, whether you're scared about it or not. There's, there's still cases occurring, so it's still out there. And so that begs the question, why are we gathering now? Why are we here today? Well, we're here because we believe it's essential. And as your shepherds, I want you to know we care about your body, but we care about your soul even more. And we get that principle from Jesus in Matthew 10, in which he says this ridiculous sentence, don't fear those who can kill you. I don't, I, that's not the point of this verse today, but I want you to think of how audacious Jesus is to say that, right? Don't fear those who killed the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. As Jesus wisely telling us to fear God over any who would persecute us, but he points out there, the principle I want to take from that verse this morning is he points out to us that the soul is more valuable than the body because the body is temporary and the soul is forever. And our greatest concern for you is your soul. And the Bible is clear, and this year has confirmed beyond a shadow of a doubt that the longer you go without gathering, the more damage it does to your soul and the more damage it does to your relationship with Jesus. And so are there risks in being here this morning? Sure. There are risks in everything you do in life. But we are here because we absolutely believe this is worth the risk. And if you're watching online this morning, I'm going to address you and you still have genuine concern over this and you're hunkered down and you're, you're limiting contact and you're not going a lot of places, I hope you've felt nothing but grace from us towards you. We want you to still be a part of our community. It's why we're offering the live stream. We want to be a part of your life. But I've got a feeling that there are others where the gathering of the church wasn't the highest priority in their life before all this and the pandemic and the live stream have proven to be enough of a reason to justify that lack of priority and so basically here's what I'd say. If you're going everywhere but church, that's an issue. If the only time you care about COVID is on Sunday mornings, the problem isn't COVID. We have been designed and created by God with a need for others. Our mental health, our physical health, and yes, our spiritual health is reliant upon that design. And from the very first century on, faith leaders have been warning people about not giving the gathering of the church high priority because it matters that much. Which is why you've all made a terrific decision this morning. At least one, you're here. Secondly, I need you to stop applying your faith only to you. Uh, Merv Griffin had a show. It was on multiple different networks for uh, about three decades. But most famously, it was on uh, CBS in the 70s, opposite of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And there was one night he had uh, a bodybuilder on. And uh, a guy came out, and, and he was kind of the most famous bodybuilder at that time. And, he, and Merv asked him, so why, tell me why you developed all those particular muscles that you have. And the bodybuilder did what he knew how to do. He stood up, and he started flexing for the crowd. And they loved it, and they started cheering, and, you know, there's a whole big thing. And so he sat down, and, and Merv, was, Merv wasn't going to move on from this. He goes, no, but listen, like, wh what do you use all those muscles for? And again, the bodybuilder did the only thing he knew how to do. He stood up and he flexed again. And once again, the crowd cheered and then he sat down. And Merv was insistent. He goes, no, I don't think you understand what I'm asking you. 
what do you use all those muscles for? And at this point, the bodybuilder was bewildered. And he didn't know what to say. It was as if no one had ever asked him that question and as if he'd never considered it. He spent all that time building and sculpting just to flex for applause. Listen, there's a growing number of followers of Jesus who are devoted to personal study, but then they do one of three things with all that knowledge. Number one, they don't apply it at all. They can quote verse after verse. They know Greek and Hebrew. They use all sorts of terms that common people don't use and don't even care to use. But there's absolutely no fruit in their life. There's no equipping others, no building up of others. It, It all just ends with their intellectual pursuit. Or secondly, they apply it only to their own life. They've formed good convictions. There may be some sins of immaturity that they've cleaned up, and we thank the Lord for that. But they read the Bible only through the lens of how does this affect me? What do I need to do? What do I need to think? What do I need to change? And they never, ever consider others. Or third, there's a third group that are devoted to personal study, and they only use it to flex. That's it. The knowledge that they've gained is used to get an increasing amounts of applause from echo chambers of people who agreed with them. They use it to try to win online debates. They use it to form a sense of superiority over the others who disagree with them. And it serves as a mean to label others and dismiss others. This is a special type of depraved evil that breaks the heart of Jesus while supposedly being done in his name. It's in every single aspect of your faith is designed to be lived out in community. Every blessing you receive from God is designed to bless others and not just you. And a church of navel gazers is no good for anybody. Our ongoing, consistent mindset in the church is given to us in Philippians chapter 2. This is what we must think. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. It is so important to remember that you're not the hero. We don't need you to try and make people like you. Trust me, one of you is enough. But as the church, we are called to encourage We are called to counsel, we are called to teach, we're called to love, we're called to pray for, worship with, provoke, and build each other up. You've got to get to the point where you're, when you're trying to apply the Bible, that you ask the question, how can I bless others with this? How can I take what God is doing in my life and use it to help someone else? If you're not asking those questions, you're not asking the right questions. And then lastly, live out your faith in community. You need others, and others need you. And so read together, study together, grow together, pray together, evangelize together, worship together, serve together. See, that's the issue with this personalization and privatization of our faith, that all these things that we're called to, they're so much easier when we do them together. Think about it. The greatest hindrance that people have to sharing their faith is fear. And I'm about to just stand out there on an island and, and take this big risk and share the faith and what I get rejected. Because somewhere, we've come up with the idea that the only way possible to share your faith is you do it by yourself. What if you actually had a group of brothers and sisters who committed to, you all were committed together to praying for the lost people in your life. And you had them over for cookouts or some combined experience and you just shared your, the hope you have in Jesus in common conversation together. Would that not be a whole lot easier? Do you realize how much more fulfilling serving with others is compared to serving alone? 
We had a group of guys from, from this church yesterday go and, and work on the house of, of, of another person, another family's church, and I guarantee you they had so much better time doing that together than if one of them would have tried to do it by themselves. Have you ever experienced how powerful it is to pray with others and not just pray by yourself all the time? Listen, I'm not telling you this morning to ignore your private life with God. That's incredibly important. What I am telling you is this, that if you ignore Christian community, you will eventually ignore your private life with God. That's what will happen. Because Christian community ignites your personal devotion to God. We went camping a couple weeks ago and uh, we were packing up and had everything packed up and uh, didn't want to leave the fire going. That kills me, man. I love building fires. I love watching fires. I hate pouring water on a fire and putting it out before it's time. It just hurts me. But Smokey tells me that only I can prevent forest fires, right? And so we took our entire cooler of water and we dumped it on the fire and we're still loading some stuff up in the vehicles. And I went back a couple minutes and looked and guess what was going on? After dumping an entire cooler on the fire, the coals were still glowing hot. And so this was my next strategy. I found a stick in the woods and I just pushed every piece of wood away from each other and separated them. I came back later without any water and all of it was cold. And the glow of the coals just went away. We're no different, by the way. We need each other. That's not a sign of weakness for you to admit that. It's not some form of unhealthy dependency. It's how God made you. It's how he designed his church to operate. To ignore that is only to our detriment. So hold the gathering of the church in high honor. Seek to apply your faith with others in mind. Get in group life around here. Whether it's the current one you want to join or a new one coming through. It doesn't matter. Just get in one. Because that connection will be a lifeline for your walk with Jesus. We need you. You need us. We all need each other. Let's pray. Father, it is noble to try and have a pursuit of Jesus all on our own. It's a noble thing to go for, but it is also an impossibility. Lord, you did not design us that way. You did not create us that way. You did not design the church to operate that way. We need each other. And so I pray that uh, for those of us who, who have been leaning in towards uh, an individualized pursuit of you, who our focus is, is, is constantly on us, how we should apply this faith to us and not, and not looking out towards others, who have set aside uh, no time for group life, uh, who, who believe that, that we'll stay committed to you uh, just by gathering uh, randomly on Sundays from time to time, and that'll be enough. Lord, would you just convict us of the, of the reality that that's not enough? That's just a rejection of who we've been created to be. Lord, we need each other. We need the church we need it to, to fuel each other's faith. And so I pray that you would, you would help us together as a church to commit to, number one, holding uh, the gathering of the local church in high honors, that we will, we will guard it, that we will give it priority in our lives. To, number two, seeking to apply our faith, not just to ourselves, but how we might bless others as well. And number three, living this out together. Lord, in whatever ways we are deficient in that, would you give us uh, the boldness and the conviction to pursue uh, remedying that this morning? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we have our final song this morning, we'll give you a couple minutes to spend uh, with the Lord and just pray with him on some things he might be putting 
uh, in, in your mind and on your heart this morning. There's some guidance on the screens for you if you need it. Uh, but most of all, this is just your time with